Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Wow. What you fear, you follow. This is our 10th week, excuse me, our 10th week in the class, and uh, tonight we're thinking about pursuing faithfulness. The last couple of weeks we've been thinking about God's will. You remember, remember last week we talked about kind of two of the main ways we can look at God's will, um, that he has his, you know, kind of secret will, the will that we don't know exactly, and it, except that it's just what happened, right? Uh, that God reigns sovereign over all things, uh, and so things unfold according to his sovereign will. But then there's also God's uh, spoken will, or revealed will, or declared will, or written will. You know, we, there's any number of names you could call it, but it's the things that He's commanded us to do, the things that God uh, wants of us, you know, our instructions, so to speak. And so, as we think about following God's will, um, this idea of pursuing faithfulness really becomes helpful to us in decision making. Uh, so let me just start with a discussion question here. When, when you make a decision, uh, you kind of want to know what success will look like, right? Which, which option will turn out best? <laughs> and we all have sort of our own picture of what that best is. Um, uh, you know, so if you're picking a stock to invest in, you want to know which one will be worth the most money when you retire, Right. Uh, if you're buying peanut butter in the grocery store, you want to choose the one that's going to taste the best, right? By the way, does anybody know which peanut butter tastes the best? I have two. You do? Skippy. Skippy. Okay. I heard somebody say the cheapest one. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, anyway, that's uh, up for debate. Uh, maybe at the end of class, we can have the peanut butter debate. Uh which equip, which equip class are you going to attend and why, right? Um, so all of these decisions, we, we sort of look to the future with some sense of an expected outcome, right? And so we choose the one that will give us the outcome we desire. And that's not necessarily wrong, a uh, wrong way to make decisions. Um, but tonight we want to think in terms of, of faithfulness and making decisions in terms of faithfulness as our guide as opposed to just really dwelling on the outcome we expect um, in our decision-making. So, uh, last week we talked a little bit about um, trusting God, and uh, we spent some time in Matthew chapter 6, which is the passage where Jesus explains that God takes care of the sparrow, He takes care of the lilies in the field, so don't worry, right? Uh, one of my favorite phrases there is, which of you, by worrying, can add some height to your stature, right? You know, uh, well, nope, none of us can do that. Um, and so at the end, he says, don't worry about these things. Instead, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And we talked about how that refers to, right, our submission to God, God as king, his ruler. Uh, what that means for me is I am the subject. I'm the servant. I come to the king and say, your will be done. What do you have for me? Uh, I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to live out your righteousness. And so that's to be our pursuit. And that's what we mean by pursuing faithfulness. We want to be faithful servants of the king. That's what we seek after. So rather than worrying, we just keep coming back to that question, how can I serve the king? How can I be a faithful servant uh, under his kingship? under his rule. Uh, so let's dig into kind of what it means to uh, be faithful servants of the Lord. And you can see again how the fear of God sort of weaves its way into following the will of God, how our awe and reverence and respect for God affect a lot of how carefully we follow him and uh, obey him and live for him. So let's think about faithfulness and what scriptures have to say about that. Uh, first of all, let's see if this is, uh, uh-oh, I think we're stuck. Yep. Do you mind helping me out? You can forward it. Maybe. There it is. Let's see if it works now. 
Yay. Faithfulness is living to please the Lord. Living to please the Lord. Or at least for our class, that's what I mean by faithfulness, okay? Uh, When we think of being faithful to the Lord in terms of our Christian lives, our decision-making, it means living to please the Lord. Well, sure, that's fine. Which of us doesn't want to do that, right? I mean, we can kind of read a phrase like that, like, yeah, I want to please God. That sounds like a good thing. But how does that actually help us in decision-making, right? What in the world does that have to do with the practical stuff of life, like choosing your peanut butter at the grocery store, okay? Uh, you know, how, what good is living to please the Lord going to do for you in that context? Uh, well, hopefully by the end of tonight's class, you will know the answer to that question, which peanut butter pleases the Lord? No, I'm kidding. Um, so, but let's dig in and uh, it really try to make it practical, though I, I will not be revealing which peanut butter pre- uh, pleases the Lord. So let's, let's begin by thinking about uh, some things that are God's will for us. And we've looked at these in the last couple of weeks, so I'm looking for interaction here. What are some things that we know are, is God's will for us? Okay, and we've, we've talked about these the last couple of weeks, and you may have other ideas that we haven't talked about as well. But what are some things that we know is God's will for us? And everything give thanks, right? What else? This is the will of God, your sanctification, right? What else? What's that? Flee youthful lusts. Good. Others. There's tons of them. It's one of those questions that's like, is it too easy? No. You just get lots of feedback here. Yeah, Dan. Live at peace with all Yes. Live at peace with others. Draw near to him. Good. Yep. Be holy. holy. Yep. Good. Yeah, the list could go on and on and on, right? Um, So we know these commands from the Lord. And um, what's interesting, as you begin to dwell on those commands, it's not stuff like by Jif rather than Skippy, you know. Uh, you begin to gather those commands from the Lord and you realize that they, they have a pattern. They all deal with, right, the inner person, our character, the kind of people we are. And it becomes pretty clear that God's primary investment, as far as his will for us, is to grow us, is to mature us towards holiness, or if we were to put it one way, to grow into the image of Christ. And that's the way we're going to think about it tonight. Um, Scripture talks about our our sanctification in a variety of ways, but one of them is that we grow to be more like Jesus. Uh, So the commands of Scripture help us to put on the character of Christ, to live like He lived, to live in a way that's pleasing to God. So we can say this, God wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to reflect His character. Um, I have in the notes there uh, just four examples. Uh, Excuse me. Oh yeah, four examples. Two are from Ephesians, however. Um, So let's go ahead and look at those. Ephesians 4, 12 through 15. Somebody willing to uh, read that aloud for us? Jennifer Graham, thank you. Uh, then also in Ephesians 4, somebody willing to read verses 20 through 24. Somebody willing to do that? Okay, Amy. Um, Colossians 1, 28. Another one. Janessa, thank you. 1 Peter 2, 21. Dave, thank you. All right, let's start back at the beginning. Jennifer, Ephesians 4. Yeah, so it's mentioned a couple times 
that the goal of our growth is to grow up into Christ. And there's actually a phrase there that's really cool, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, um, which is fun. You compare that to Matthew chapter 6 when we're told that which of you by worrying can add to your statue, but actually by seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, we can add to our spiritual stature, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? So we can actually grow in Christ by doing that thing and not by worrying. No, it's kind of a fun comparison there. Uh, but yeah, the goal is that we grow up into Christ. Who had Ephesians 4, 20 through 24? Amy, yeah. Good. So that's, you know, the Christian life played out practically is put off the old me, put on the new me, which is created in the image of God, or in the context of Ephesians 4, we just talked about growing up into Christ, the image specifically of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and then who had Colossians 1.28? Okay, so growing up to be perfect or complete in Christ Jesus. And then finally, 1 Peter 2, 21. Dave. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. All right, so in the context of suffering specifically, uh, but it's a, it could be applied broader than that, the Lord Jesus left us an example Uh, that we can follow in his steps, right? So we're patterning our lives after the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the answer to our question. What does does living to please God have to do with, you know, following God's will? Well, God actually guides our decision-making, not in terms of commanding us to buy Skippy or Jif. God uh, directs our decision-making by making us more like Jesus so that more and more our decisions look like decisions that Jesus would make. Okay, And so as our character is formed, as our character is shaped, it changes the way we make decisions. And more and more, our decisions line up with what, you know, what Jesus would have decided had he been in the same scenario. Right? It feels like, what, are you serious? Well, yeah, actually. This is part of the goal of Scripture. And I think part of the reason that God has given us his spirit to dwell in us is that we actually can live by the same power with which Jesus lived. He operated in his ministry life in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that you and I have. Uh, so kind of cool to think about that God directs our decision-making differently than we expect. And we kind of want that straight answer like, okay, the skippy or the jiff. But God guides us actually by making us like his son so that when I look at a decision, I process it differently with his priorities, his values, his character traits, and my decisions more and more reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at Jesus' life in this category, and we come to find out that indeed Jesus did live to please the Father. This was the pattern of Jesus' life. Uh, somebody willing to... Actually, I'll, I'll take this one. John 8, uh, 28 and 29. says this, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. So the pattern, the rhythm, the cadence of Jesus' life was to please the Father in everything. The Gospel of John highlights this in a really fun way. It's a neat theme to track through the book. If you ever uh, read through the Gospel of John or, or want to do like a study in it, track the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Because throughout the book, Jesus says the following things. He says that he always does the will of the Father, John six thirty eight. He always speaks what the Father has spoken to him, John seven sixteen and John twelve forty nine. He always does the works of the Father, John five nineteen. Uh, 
He wants what the Father wants, and his goal is to reveal the Father to the world. John 1.14, John 1.18, John 12.45, John 14.7-11. So pretty cool uh, little study there to see how Jesus, his whole goal was to show the world what the Father is like. And what God has done in Christ is he's kind of passed that goal on to us. So uh, Jesus came to show the world what the Father is like. What did Jesus leave us here to do? Show the world what Jesus is like. And so the Father's at work changing us into the image of the Son so that we can better and better and better show the world what Jesus is like, to live our lives the way He lived, to, in every little decision, seek to please the Father. So, uh, faithfulness really is living like Jesus, or, as we could put it tonight, living to please the Father, living to please the Lord. But then, let's ask a more practical question. How can we actually do that? <laughs> that sounds like this overwhelming, you know, so you say that to follow God's will, all I have to do is be like Jesus. Great, you know, like, <laughs> that's going to be easy, you know. I'm way far away from that goal. How am I supposed to make any decision, right? If I'm so far from what Jesus is like, all my decisions are going to be a mess, okay? Practically speaking, how do we live this out if that's the goal? Well, there's a super encouraging verse in Philippians chapter 2, and I think in your notes it says 1 through 13. It actually should just say um, 12 through 13. So you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at these together. And think through how we live faithful lives. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. There's a lot packed in those two verses, and so let's break them down a little bit. We begin with the general principle that we get from the verse, which is in your notes there, that God works in us so that we can please him. Did you see it there in verse 13? It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's really good news. So if the goal of life is to be faithful and following the will of God and to please him, to live like Jesus lived, you know, we look at that in terms of our strength and our ability and we're left going, well, it's pretty hopeless then. But here we find out that this is actually what God is doing in us. He's working in us so that we can live in a way that pleases him. Oh, okay, so that takes a little bit of the weight off. Actually, it takes all of the weight off uh, and helps us practically as we think about living in a way that pleases God. So that's God's side of the puzzle, this promise that He's at work in us to do two things, and we'll, we'll dig into those in just a moment, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. But there's also uh, the other side of the coin or the puzzle or whatever metaphor I'm trying to mess up here, Uh, and it's that we are to work out our own salvation. So what in the world does that mean? Well, some interpret that to to mean that, you know, we actually have to work for our salvation, but I think that's a misinterpretation of the text because the Apostle Paul's writing to believers. He knows they're already believers. He's referred to them that way since the beginning of the book a number of times, uh, even, even rejoicing in their fellowship in the gospel right? So he's writing to believers, so, so they're already saved. This is not work for your salvation. It's live out your salvation. You'll also notice that he mentions they've already been doing it. He says in verse 12, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So since, since he first knew them as believers, they've been seeking to obey the Lord. And there's our little synonym for working out your salvation. It's obedience. Let your salvation play out in life in the form of obeying the Lord. And we understand this about the Christian faith. When a person trusts in Christ as Savior, uh, what that leads to naturally is that we want to obey the Lord. We want to live for Him. Uh, And so that's, I think, what Paul is talking about here. Work out your own salvation. Let it play out in life. 
But then he says something interesting at the end of verse 12. With fear and trembling. Now, what in the world is that phrase doing there? That seems out of place, doesn't it? Anybody else think that's out of place? It's not out of place. The Apostle Paul is reminding them of a really important principle, that the way they live their Christian lives is really important. But I want you to notice where this fear and trembling is directed. If you look back before he says it, he says this, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So that rules out fear of man. Paul's saying, don't worry about whether I'm here or not. You're working out your salvation. Your obedience shouldn't be dependent on whether I'm here to see you. (laughs) Now that I'm gone, you need to obey that much more. Keep working out your salvation. Why? Well, that fear and trembling is directed to verse 13. Why do we work it with fear and trembling? Because it is God who's working in us. So my obedience to God happens when God works in me to obey. And so if I deny God's work, right, let's say I choose to sin. No longer can I say, well, I just slipped up. Well, I made a mistake. I guess I shouldn't have done that. No, the reality is I'm actually working against God because there was a God who was working in me to do, both to desire and to do, according to his pleasure. That's a promise. That's always there. So that means when I sin, I'm actually working against God. And that ought to be done with fear and trembling. (laughs) Right? So then we begin to sense what he's talking about here. This is talking about fear of God. And if it's God who's working in me, moving in me to desire to do the right thing and to have the power to do the right thing, then I got to take that seriously. And my obedience is not just this kind of like, well, if it's convenient, I'll do the right thing. No, it's the sovereign God of the universe is taking his time and focus to empower me in my heart to say no to sin, say yes to him. And I need to take that seriously uh, and, and, and live to please him because it's God at work. And to sin is not just to slip up. It's actually oppose the work that God is doing in my heart. Okay. So it matters what we do. It matters what we do. Paul encourages them to keep obeying, and it shouldn't matter whether Paul is there or not. Uh, It matters what God is working in them to do. And so their actions do matter. Um, Their obedience is a big deal. Uh, When we sin, the problem is not that we disappointed our friends or that even a spiritual mentor like Paul might be disappointed in us. No, that's not what matters in sin. What matters in sin is that I did the opposite of what God was at work in me to do. We oppose God in our sin. And so it matters very much what we do. But not only that, it matters how we do it. Since we are working out our salvation and we're working for His good pleasure... It means that not even the outcome is most important, but even the way we get to the outcome is the way that I'm taking steps along that path. Is it pleasing to God? Think about it. If it's God who's working in me to do it, it, His character ought to be clear along the way, right? But if I'm just going for the outcome in my own strength, then you'll see me in my flesh along the way, even if the outcome seems like a good thing. And so how we go about this is very important. It ought to be clear that God is doing the work. Thankfully, Scripture tells us how we can tell who's doing the work, right? Galatians chapter 5. What are the two kinds of fruit that can show up in my life that reveal who's doing the work? Do you remember? Galatians 5. What's it list? Fruit of the Spirit, and what's the other? Fruit of the flesh, works of the flesh, right? Those are my two options. And so along the path of doing a good thing, right, what kind of fruit is showing up? And then it becomes clear, huh? whose power is at work here? Is this God's power at work in me to will and to do for his good pleasure? Or is this just Lance trying to, you know, keep up appearances here? And so Lance is coming out the whole way along, and it's pretty ugly. So it matters how we go about doing things. Finally, it matters why we do it. What's our motive? 
And again, God's there to help us. God's not only just giving us the power to do it, it starts all the way at the beginning. He's at work in us to will. That's a word of desire. God is at work giving me the power to shape my desires so that not only am I doing the right thing, but he's helping me to want to do the right thing. I think that's awesome. That's so encouraging that God is investing in us in that way to desire or to will and to do. So our motive is important as well. So here's a question. Maybe you've been stuck in this place before. Let's say you're in a position where you know what God wants you to do, but you don't want to do it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you've never been there. Um, But there are times in my life when I know what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. What should I do? Let's make this super practical. Let's say, uh, what should we pick here? Um, Okay, what's that? Going to church, perfect, love it. All right, so it's Sunday morning. Church time is coming around, right? Uh, You're not sick, you're healthy, there's nothing else on your schedule. Uh, You know that as you think through the scriptures and God's will for you and desire for you, that, you know, going to church seems like the thing that I should do to please the Lord but you just don't want to. Okay, we've all been there. Well, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. I've been there. So what do we do? Uh, Let me explain the dilemma to you, right? Do you go and then just have this bad attitude internally the whole time? Oh, I wish I wasn't here. This is the worst. Hi, yeah, good to see you, right? Is that what God wants? Just this hypocrisy, you know, where we just put on a happy face and go to church anyway? Well, maybe instead we should just, you know what? I'm not there in my desires, so better to not be a hypocrite. I'm just going to stay home, right? And be a, I'll be a grump here at home, but I'll be less grumpy because I didn't have to go to church, right? Maybe that's the solution. At least I wasn't a hypocrite, right? Okay, so which is it? Neither, right? Okay, okay. Yeah, right? So we come back to the promise of Philippians 2.13, and we remember that, ah, I have a God who not only empowers me to do the right thing, but is actually also working in me to shape my will to do what's pleasing to Him. So here we are on Sunday morning, and I don't want to go to church, and I know that this is what the Lord wants me to do. Well, I could just do the right thing, but then I'm ignoring the root problem. I'm ignoring that my heart wants the wrong thing, which is sin, right? So we begin with repentance. Say, Lord, right now I don't want to go to church. That's clearly not the right thing. It's a good thing for me to go and to worship you. You deserve it. And I'm being horrible right now, right? We confess these things to him and then... Trusting in his forgiveness, we say, okay, Lord, help me, help me to go with joy and to delight in submitting to you and to go with a good attitude because this is good and right. Help me to hate the part of me that doesn't want to go. That's death. That's the flesh. That's not from you. I don't want it. Change my heart and strengthen me as I go to have a good attitude and to stop thinking of myself and to love people. And you know what? Sometimes it's a battle all Sunday morning long. Right, You show up and you know that's going on in your heart and you're still fighting it. And in the pauses in between talking to people, you're kind of praying again, like, Lord, it's still there. I, I want to want to be here. Change my heart. And, uh, and we keep seeking his help. And the promise is rich. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He shows up and he helps every time. And we keep fighting that battle. So this is how we walk through the Christian life and seeking to please the Lord. We trust that God has given us all that we need to do that every single time. Now, that's not like a lightning bolt. It's not a feeling. It's not like Superman running into the telephone booth and coming out with a cape on and everything. You know, it's like you won't, you won't have that feeling. It's, it's actually a step of faith based on the promise of God that says you obey Because it's God working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So take him at his word 
ask him for help, and step forward, right? Um, and so this becomes how we walk through the Christian life. So let's think through uh, how we can sort of look at our decisions and tell how we're doing in, in whether you know, we're making these faithful uh, decisions as we seek to please the Lord. What do faithful decisions look like? Well, there will have, it will have these marks. First of all, our focus will be on the revelation of Jesus Christ, his, his return. What that revelation means is when, when we see him. <laughs> so that's talking about his appearing, right? Looking forward to seeing the Lord. And that could be the moment that we die. That could be his return in the clouds when he calls us to meet him in the air. Call that the rapture. Um, You know, we don't know exactly how that will play out, but that's where our focus is. And we're told all through Scripture to keep our eyes fixed on that. The day we'll see him. Um, That specific phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, where Paul's, or excuse me, Peter is encouraging the believers in the midst of suffering that their suffering is refining their faith, making them more like Jesus so that they'll be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's, you know, the things we go through in this life that make us like Jesus, we look forward to when that is, results in praise, honor, and glory, rewards before the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, uh, 21 also talks about this idea, looking forward to that day. Um, so that should be our focus, what we're aiming towards. Secondly, it should have a goal that we should be able to recognize, which is to glorify God, or as we've been using tonight, to please Him. And so you've got 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Therefore, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, in everything, uh, glorify God. Or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, excuse me. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 is the other verse listed there. And that's where the Apostle Paul says, So whether present or absent, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. Their goal was to please the Lord. And interestingly, he has the same focus because in the next verse, verse 10, he says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So you see there, both the goal and the focus, he's looking forward to that day when he'll stand before his Lord and hopes to hear from him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, and that's, that's Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant is where that phrase comes from. And to what extent should these faithful decisions infiltrate our lives? All of life, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, everything about us. Laid out before the Lord. Not that we die, but we go on living, completely offered to God. Right? And that goes back to those themes we've been talking about. That we seek His kingdom. Again, us as the faithful servants. Him as the Master and Lord. Living sacrifices, completely offered to Him. It's all the same kind of terminology here. We're just here to say, yes, Lord, whatever you have. I will do. So instead, we seek to make faithful decisions. Number four, faithfulness brings freedom and protection. So again, we want to think through practically how this plays out in life. A lot of times, like we talked about at the beginning, we're focused on the outcomes Uh, we invest in a stock in order to secure our retirement. We accept a position, a job, um, because we want to have wealth and happiness and so forth. Instead, we're working towards a faith-based decision-making, trying to be faithful to the Lord. And again, part of what we take into that decision-making is the outcomes. That's part of the process of deciding. It's not like we ignore that. But we're trying to be faithful, trying to please the Lord. 
So let's contrast the two of these kinds of decisions. That chart was supposed to be uh, blank, but I forgot to delete all the words. So you have them. Uh, <laughs> so there, now they're on the screen. So if you want to write them in your own handwriting, you're free to do that. But. When we're focused on the outcome, who are we trusting? Well, ourselves, right? We're looking at the future and we're saying, oh, I know how this is going to play out. So if I make this decision, it will lead to this, so I'm going to make this decision. Now again, I'm not saying that we completely ignore that, but the main trust is in ourselves and our view of things, right? In faith-based decisions, in faithfulness decisions, the primary concern is, what does the Lord want me to do? And even if we think it will turn out this way, or we think it won't turn out this way, we say, well... I'm still going to trust the Lord by doing what he's told me to do, even though I'm not so sure about the outcome, right? Uh, And it leaves room for a sovereign God to make things go differently than my vision of the future thought it would turn out. Uh, So our focus, uh, the one we trust in faithful decisions is the Lord. Who gets the credit? Well, in outcome-focused decisions, we get the credit because I sat here and I looked at the pros and cons and I figured out, well, if I make a decision, it'll turn out this way. And so when it does, well, let me tell you why I made that decision. Here's the reason I picked that stock. This is why I chose that car. Let me tell you, right? It's all kind of about us. I thought it through, I weighed the pros and cons, and it turned out just like I expected, right? In faith-based decisions, the glory goes to God, right? Because, well, I, I, I waited out, and I just thought this is what the Lord wanted me to do. Man, He provided beyond what I expected. Uh, I didn't know how it would turn out, uh, but so cool that God, God provided. Success, whoops, still up there. Success is, in outcome-focused, is seen by people. A lot of times, when we're making decisions based on what we think will happen... It's hard to just ignore what people are going to see, what outcome we want them to see. Um, And so our decisions tend to be marked by what people are going to see. Well, people think I'm a wise decision maker kind of a thing. Uh, But with faith-focused decision making, it just matters what God sees, right? Again, we're looking forward to that day we'll stand before Him. And so we look back at our decisions and we think, well, you know what? doesn't really matter what people think about how I decided that, but I think the Lord will be pleased with what I, with the decision I made, and that's enough for me, you know? Uh, that's a mark of a faith-based choice as opposed to an outcome-focused choice. So this leads to some freedoms and some protections, and these are helpful for us. First of all, it frees us from perfectionism. Some of us struggle uh, in decision-making because we are perfectionists, I will raise my hand on that. Um, right, everything we do it just has to be just right. We want to make sure we buy the best product, make sure that everything is in its place, make sure that no decision could be looked upon as unwise or foolish. Why? Who would ever make a decision like that? Uh, what house to buy, what school to go to, we agonize over those decisions. And then even after the decision is made, we continue to agonize because maybe we discovered something that was different than we thought it was, and so we have to make a return or, you know, whatever. Now, it's not wrong to be careful with our decisions to pursue wisdom, but perfectionism can be its own kind of idol. And it's actually not about just pleasing the Lord, it's more about making myself look good. And there's just a, can be a fine line between those, and we sort of begin to drift off into the wrong direction here. Instead, in faith-based decision-making, we're freed from perfectionism because the goal is to please the Lord, and we have to trust Him with the things we can't know, the things we can't control. And that's what makes decision-making so hard for perfectionists is because in every decision, there are things we can't control. Maybe I did pick the best peanut butter at the grocery store, but when I got home, I discovered that in that particular canister, the the seal had already been broken. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen. I don't know if it was peanut butter, but you you open it up. It's like, man, I selected the best one, but it was already opened. Now I can't eat it. Your mind begins imagining all the things that happened to that peanut butter. 
Oh, the seal was broken. All right, never mind, just me, I guess. So we can't control these things, right? We just don't know the future. We don't know all those things. And so riding those waves of perfectionism, trying to control every detail and every outcome, we just can't do it. Faith-based decision-making allows us to trust the Lord. And so we get home with our unsealed jar of peanut butter and we look to the Lord with maybe a little smile on her face and say, okay, Lord, your plan, not mine. No big deal. It's just peanut butter. you know." And we just move on from things like that. Now, obviously, that's a small, small example, but this helps us in so many details of life. Uh, And perfectionism doesn't have to control us. Instead, we can trust the Lord. This also uh, gives us freedom from regret. Freedom from regret. Sometimes in life, we make bad decisions, and when we think of it in terms of the goal being to please God, really the, the worst decisions, the, the real bad decisions, are the ones where we choose to disobey the Lord, right? Where he's working in me to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. But here's the amazing thing. God's will for me is not to actually to live in regret. It's to confess and to enjoy his forgiveness and to move on in life. Right? So God has given us a mechanism to deal with even the worst decisions we make. Confession and forgiveness. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so in that sense, it frees us from regret. Well, what about those decisions that weren't necessarily sinful, but just turned out really bad? Right? We thought we were getting just a, a great car and a good deal, and it turns out to be a lemon. Right? It's just breaking down all the time. Ugh. We, we thought that it was, you know, we've used stocks a couple of times and I thought it was the right stock to put my funds in and then it, then it crashed. Those things where people might look at us and be like, ooh, that was a foolish decision, right? Those are the ones we struggle with. Bad outcomes. But even those we can trust the Lord with and don't have to live in regret because there's a sovereign God using all those things for good in our lives. And the goal was not the outcome to begin with. The goal was to be made more like Jesus, right? And sometimes it's even those decisions that turned out different than I expected that God uses in powerful ways to change what I value to change what my priorities are, and in the end, to make me more like Christ, to teach me wisdom. Sometimes you come through those decisions, right? If you, maybe you've been scammed before, right? You get an email. Oh, that looks like an interesting link. I'll click that, and then, yeah, everything explodes in your computer. Well, we, we learn, right? God's bigger than our mistakes, and He teaches us wisdom, and we can move forward um, equipped with that, and we don't have to live in regret. Let's go then to the next one, freedom from pride. And this goes back in many ways to Philippians 2.13. So I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, but is there ever a point at which I can kind of just brag about my obedience? Oh man, have you seen the way I've been working out my salvation? (laughs) It's so good. No, that's silly. Why? Because of verse 13, it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And the moment I start patting myself on the back for working out my salvation, well, there I'm resisting a God who's trying to work humility in me. But God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So this frees us from pride because we recognize that our desire to to just please the Lord in our decision is something that He empowers. I really can't take credit for it as we seek to live for Him. Uh, and, and when God is glorified in those decisions, we just rejoice. It protects us from burnout. Protects us from burnout. Now, we've framed this in terms of living like Jesus, right? Living to please the Father. And, and one of the things I love about that is it really does protect us from burnout. We see this in Jesus' life. You have two passages listed there. Uh, Mark chapter 6 is a case where the disciples get back from doing ministry. And they've been busy. And so Jesus actually says to them, let's step away from the crowds. Let's get alone and let's rest. And Mark goes on to explain, for they hadn't even had time to eat. Right? So, so Jesus actually calls them away from ministry to rest. 
We get this example from God all the way back in his creation of the world, that the one who didn't need rest chose to rest on the seventh day. Um, And he has designed us to function that way as well. So when we're living to please the Father, we can rest and and take a day off and and not feel guilty. When it's outcome-based, when it's about everybody looking at us, there's this drive that keeps us going because i got to keep producing outcomes. People have to think I'm a hard worker and so on and so forth. And so burnout comes quickly. But just seeking to be faithful to the Lord allows us to say, you know what, I think right now what would please the Lord would be to go to bed and to get some rest, to take a day off. Um, These things please the Lord as well. It protects us from people-pleasing Oh, I forgot to mention the Ephesians passage. I love that verse. This is back to burnout. Ephesians 2.10 is the forgotten verse of the, uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, and the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, here's the cool part, which God has ordained or prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that means that every day of our lives and our whole life in total, God already knows every single good work that he has laid out for us in advance, right? So when I enter a day, it's not do as many good works as possible. No, it's just walk in the good works that he has for me today. And the God who prepared those beforehand knows my limits. He knows how much sleep I need. He knows how much I can handle. He knows I need to eat three times a day. Right? All, he knows all these things about me. And so he's laid out perfectly the number of good works I have for that day. And so, you know, we just don't have to lose our minds and go crazy. It's just kind of rest in God's control and say, okay, Lord, what do you have next for me? And the trust that he's working in me to will and to do for his good pleasure. Okay, sorry, moving on. Uh, it protects us from people-pleasing. Uh, Matthew 12, uh, verses 46 through 50, that's the scene where Jesus is teaching. And uh, actually, his mother comes. <laughs> Uh, and, and she, you know, and, and his brothers are there too, but mom's really the one that matters, you know, this is Mary, right? And so she taps the crowd, hey, I'm, I need to speak with Jesus, right? And so word comes up to the front, Jesus, your mom's here. She wants to talk to you, right? Jesus boldly says to the crowd, right, these are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, those who do the will of of the Father. Jesus was so committed to the Father's will that in that moment he knew the Father wanted him to keep teaching and specifically to teach that lesson. And so he said no to his mom in order to do the Father's will. Now we got to be careful in saying no to our moms, right? That's right. But I just love that there's, there's no fear of man in Jesus. He knew what the father wanted him to do. Right now, it's keep teaching. And it wasn't disrespectful to his mom or anything like that. But I got to finish this lesson because that's what the father wants for me. There's no, there's no fear of man there. I love that. There's no people pleasing. John 6, uh, 15 uh, is, a, is another interesting reference to Jesus not really caring what the crowds think. Um, there in verse 15, it says, Therefore, when they perceived that they're about to come, uh, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. We look at that and we're like, what? Jesus, they were going to make you king. <laughs> that seems like a really good thing. <laughs> but he says no, and he escapes to the mountain alone. Why? Because it wasn't the Father's timing. It wasn't the Father's timing. So uh, living to please the Father frees us from people-pleasing. Finally, living to fee- please the Father protects us from wastefulness. In fact, living to please the Father is the only way not to waste our lives. Luke 12 is that passage of the rich fool, as he's called, who gains all sorts of grain, and then he comes up with this plan, I'm going to build three more silos here to store my grain, and, uh, and then he dies. And God says, fool, you spent your time building up wealth on earth, and you were not rich towards God. Right? So wise living, the right way to it, the only way not to waste our lives is to live to please the Lord, to build up our eternal heavenly 
wealth. First Corinthians three eleven through fifteen talks about those rewards at the at, before the judgment seat of Christ. Some will be burned up, the wood, hay, and stubble. Some will endure the fire of His judgment, the gold, silver, and precious stones. So faithfulness brings responsibility, and that's your final section there. The weight of in every little choice seeking to please the Lord. And living for that day when we will stand before Him and give account for our actions. And so we find that that calling uh, to live in a way that pleases the Father uh, should be the goal of all our decision-making, to be faithful. So that on that day when we stand before Him, we'll hear from the One who gave His life for us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, in the coming weeks, next week and the week following, Lord willing, uh, we'll be talking about the tools, the resources we have to live this way. And so there'll be scriptures, counsel. How how do we take those things into play into into actually practically making decisions? I don't know, a lesson like tonight about just, you know, just live to please the Lord sounds, you know, really pie in the sky. But it really is practical and helpful down to the details of life, down to decisions about... uh, when to eat and when to sleep and what to do next and so on and so forth. And when we consult the Lord and have that in our minds, Lord, what would be pleasing to you? He gives a lot of clarity. There's never those answers like, wear the red shirt, right? But we do begin to understand that, oh, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be giving the decision about which shirt to wear 20 minutes every morning. Maybe that's not pleasing to the Father. And that would please him is just to pick one and get dressed so I can get to work on time. Right? And so living to please the Lord actually does direct us in a lot of the even details of life in, in ways that it's hard to always describe or see how it's going to play out. Again, if we look to the outcomes, it won't always make sense. But in the immediate, we say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me next? How can I please you in this? Uh, and he gives clarity. And again, remember that promise, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. All right, let's divide up into our prayer groups. We'll close with that uh, for tonight. Thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, once you're done praying, you are dismissed. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.